There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to be talking again about millennials. Now, if you're like most of the clients that I speak with, millennials are soon going to be accounting for 50% of your employee base. And as a result, leaders at all levels are increasingly focusing on the attitudes and the behaviors of this generation. Now, when I bring up the topic about millennials in front of any of my audiences at the moment, what I hear is frustration bordering on anger. And it seems to be a common theme among everybody, particularly the middle man, middle level managers who are the ones who are supervising the millennials the most. Those managers are typically seeing millennials as things like entitled, unwilling to do the detail work, not putting in their time, lacking loyalty, and the list can go on. It is not a happy state of affairs. However, when we talk to millennials, they have quite a different view of the scenario, no surprise, surprise. So the focus today is to talk about what is their view, and more importantly, what is it that an organization or a manager can do that's going to make a difference with this generation? So my guest today is Lee Carraher. Lee is CEO of Double Forte PR and Digital Marketing. She's an acclaimed communication strategist, and she's known for very practical solutions to big problems, working with some of the top consumer and technical brands in the country. She's the author of a former book that I am a big fan of called Millennials in Management, which was really based on her experience she describes as failing and then succeeding to re- at retaining millennials. Also, from helping to coach lots of millennials in the San Francisco area. Her latest book, The Boomerang Principle, though, is really built on how do you build cohesive, high-producing teams that can work together. So Lee's a bit of a straight talker, as you're going to hear. She's not going to pull too many punches, but has a good sense of humor about it. She lives in San Francisco with her husband, two sons, and a blind cat. And I just have to say, for interest, her college degree is in medieval history, which she says is useful every day. Not the subject of the radio show, but an interesting fact. Lee, welcome to the show. Wanda, it is so great to be with you again. Thank you. My pleasure. I keep citing some of your work around millennials tremendously. So here we go. Let's talk about this whole notion of the boomerang principle. But before we get going, just to get everybody on the same page, and I know not everyone identifies the generations the same way, what are the ages that you count as part of the millennial generation? Um, I use Pew Research as my source just to just ground everybody when I have this conversation. So when I talk about millennials, I'm talking about people who were born between 1980 and 2000. So in 2017, they are between 16 and 36 years old, which is a very long span. Um, And they're subgroups within that group, but really that's the generation that we're talking about, uh, a 20-year span between 1986. I'm sorry, between 1980 and 2000. 2000. Okay. And I think you're, we should come back and talk about this later. I think you're right at the tail end of that distribution. It starts to look a little different than it does in the younger yeah. years. 
right. Now, you've done a lot of research and a lot of conversations with millennials trying to understand their views. Sort of give us the highlights of what you've learned about them as a group. Mm-hmm. Well, one, I think this group is very misunderstood, and they're all lumped together as if 80 million people could be all the same, which, of course, is statistically impossible. Um, and I think that the, the, the myths around millennials, which are in general very negative, they're entitled, they're lazy, they don't know how to, you know, all these negative, negative things. They're really cast from a boomer or an Xer uh, filter and really miss the point in terms of um, how millennials really show up in terms of being, in, in, instead of being entitled, they've been conditioned. Instead of being lazy, they work different. And uh, what we say, and I'm, a boom, I'm the last year of boomer, what I had failed to understand before I really dug into this was how much technology and education has changed and that impact on how people present themselves. And if we can just close that gap on understanding, uh, we go a long way in terms of turning from uh, detractors to champions for this huge generation. Okay, so you said they're not entitled, they're conditioned, Mm -hmm. and they're not lazy, they're, what was the other word you said? They work differently. Work differently. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can imagine. People might be entitled, but a generation is not entitled. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let me give you an example about this. Coming from one of my clients, um, where detailed work in that client is really critically important. Okay. And I will grant them that. But their view, the Xers in particular view, is that the way they learned the details that matter is that they stood by the fax machine and watched 200 pages of a document go through painfully page by page and follow through on the detail of how you transmit a document in old technology from office to office, usually late at night. And they look at the current generation of the millennials and say they're unwilling to do that. (laughs) part of me reflects back, maybe they should be unwilling to do that. That doesn't seem to me like good value add. What's your view? Well, I think one thing, you know, if anyone has a fax machine that they're standing next to for hours on end, um, they, they, there's a cheaper option right now, right? (laughs) (laughs) We can get you a solution today. That'll save you time and money on that. I think that the, um, you know, this is not a new thing, right? Generational uh, conflict is not new, although we talk about it as if it's, you know, a new phenomena. And this concept of time and earning it um, is something that technology today, uh, we get, you know, if you think about it, we get upset when, you know, click, 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 nothing happens. When, you know, I used to be one of those people who stood next to a fax machine at midnight so that um, I'd be faxing it over and over and over again. The detail in that is, uh, you know, the pain of doing that is different from the detail in the work, right? And how do we, the more important thing is how do you make sure that the quality of the work uh, maintains its high standard regardless of how many conveniences um, today we all have regardless of a generation. So we should not equate our pain, you know, walking uphill both ways in the snow to school with, the convenience of, you know, a shared smart car going to school because you still got the school, you still got the, you know, you still got the information transfer from one destination to the other, but uh, pain does not have to be, um, does not equate with experience, you know. 
Okay. All right. Well, one of the arguments that I made back to this particular client was, yes, they're not holding on to all the micro detail bits of information. Mm -hmm. And why should they? Because all of those micro bits of information can now be electronically stored, searched much more rapidly than any of us could ever put in our brains. So why are you asking them to cram things in their brains that they may not need? So did I do a good job representing that or a bad job? I, did, I think you did a good job. I think what what is hard to, first of all, there is so much more information today, every single day, and I'll give you an example of this. In marketing, we used to use the term, you used to use the number seven or 12. Seven or 12 times that the right person had to see the right message so that message would be absorbed in advertising. Today we use the number 35. 35 times an advertiser needs to put their message in front of the right person so that the right, that target audience actually absorbs that message. And that is phenomenal jump, 7 or 12 to 35. That, what all that does is tell you the exponential amount of information that is being bombarded at people every single day. And what we, what we have to adjust is our, our ex- expectation of people actually absorbing everything they see. I'm not suggesting that someone needs to send an email, you know, 35 times for someone to actually uh, be responsible for it, but I am suggesting that if we have the same expectation of absorption of information and retention of information that we did before we all had more power in our hands that went to the moon, (laughs) uh, we are making a false assumption, right? And we have many more aids today on figuring out how to, where do we put information? So if you use Evernote, if you use Trello, if you're using Slack, whatever you're doing to keep track of the information, the more important skill is discernment. What's an important detail and what is not? And that's where the people with more experience can help the people with less experience sift through what matters and what doesn't and then where to put it so it's easily retrievable. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that one. We're also, I mean, you have said also in other places that this generation grows, has grown up believing that everything is searchable, that it's all right there at your fingertips. And if it isn't there at your fingertips, you can ask a bunch of friends as in a cloud source and they will get it for you. So it does Mm -hmm. change the way you think about information. At any rate, um, I said this back to my client, by the way, and then the retaliation is, but our competitive advantage is the detail. And I came back and I said, and with robotics, is that going to hold? And there was yeah. some dead silence in the conversation, yeah. like, uh-oh. All right, right, so enough about the millennials. So I get your point that we need to get out of the negativity, because anytime you're trying to work with somebody and you've got a negative attitude, it isn't going to go very well. We need to shift our framing from being entitled to being conditioned, from being lazy to working differently, to recognizing the volume of technology, the volume of information has changed dramatically, and that in some ways generational differences are really not that new. So let's jump to the big takeaway. What is it that a company can do to get the best out of their millennial employees? I think the first thing is to recognize that hierarchy, which is um, very germane to the uh, millennia, I mean, sorry, to the Gen X and to the boomer experience, uh, which really is about access, what you just talked about. You know, hierarchy is about access to people, access to information, access to privilege. Uh, hierarchy is antithetical to the millennial experience. So if you just understand that, number one. So in that world, just because I said so does not work, right? 
Um, so what can you do to create that buy-in that, uh, that would have been, um, for my generation, assumed with the hierarchical situation? So the first thing is, one, they have things to offer, and they expect to offer, and they expect to contribute day one. They really do, in you know, the vast majority. Two, what is the context? Like, why does this job exist? What is the mission? What is the purpose of this project and to this mission to that goal? And then third, what is my role in making this project happen? And the more you can explain that my, every single role matters, um, and everybody uh, contributes to the end goal, the more you're going to have um, individuals step up and also help other people. The third thing is feedback. This uh, generation has had tremendous amount of feedback. They are, they, you know, they're used to imperfection in products. They're used to imperfection in technology. They're used to finding bugs, uh, reporting them to, to a company. You know, every Tuesday when there's a download on your iPhone or your Android, you know, you report the bug and you might get compensated for it. So they're used to having feedback. They're used to giving feedback. They're used to having their opinion matter. So. What uh, making sure that feedback is fresh and specific. So you did a good job is not good enough. You did a great job at this sentence structure or your report was very good and very succinct and delivered the message. Being really, really specific on that so you can reinforce uh, good behavior uh, for repetition. And then the last piece of that um, is appreciation. This is a generation that grew up with everybody wins soccer with trophies and stars and points for lots of stuff and participation, and we could talk about that for days. But the, uh, what we know from science, what we know from research, is that teams that feel appreciated outperform those that don't, and that is not generational, that's human nature. Uh, and this generation is particularly prone to this. So if we can make sure that we say please and thank you throughout our day, uh, that is the first step in making sure everyone understands that they are appreciated. And when people are appreciated, they are more efficient. When people are more efficient, they're more effective. So those four things, context, roles, appreciation, and feedback, will go a long way to helping millennials uh, contribute in a very positive fashion. And then, of course, this is not millennial-bound, right? When you create an environment where millennials can thrive, like one I just described, Gen Xers and boomers and silent generations also thrive. Uh, and the more we can do, make help everybody thrive, the better off we can all be. Yeah, it strikes me that for decades we've been trying to get managers to do exactly the four things that you yep. just said. Why uh-huh. is this project important? What's the context on this one? Was my role in getting it done? Would you please appreciate me and could I have some feedback about how I get better? I don't know any employee who wouldn't like that. Who? I mean, it's the the relationship though between access and um, expectation has changed with this generation because they have had tremendous access or, or at least the impression of access and they've had tremendous feedback given uh, either through social media or through the companies that are providing these products. So the equation has changed in uh, with this generation, but we as companies have, even though we have changed with our relationships with our customers, we have not changed with our relationships with our employees and this is the big disconnect. Oh, I love that one. We've changed in our relationship with our customers, but not with our employees, meaning we mm-hmm. expect our employees to be able to call our, excuse me, our customers to be able to call the CEO night and day in the middle of the weekend 
And of Mm -hmm. course, the CEO would respond to it, but we would not allow a young person inside the organization to make that phone call. Very interesting. Very interesting observation. Um, I want to come back to just a moment on this notion of hierarchical. Yeah. And I get your your sense. You say it's antithetical to the millennials, and they will not do it just because I said so. Now, I go back. I'm a baby boomer. You know, we were the ultimate non-hierarchical generation when we got started. We were going to break down barriers. We were going to kill um, establishments. We were never going to be part of the establishment. All of that non-hierarchical stuff was us in our teens. Mm -hmm. So what is it about the millennials that makes them unique? I think there's two things on that. So boomers, I totally agree as a boomer. I agree with you. At the same time, boomers were the wait-my-turn generation in, in organizations and companies that were when we were coming, were in the started our careers. This is a time of unprecedented growth in American economy, and there were 78 million boomers, right? Um, and many of us uh, women who were started to do dual-income families and all this kind of stuff. And while it is true that we were anti-establishment, the establishment of hierarchy in in the workplace was already pretty much set up. And if you just waited your turn, you just moved up the chain because the ex- the expansion of the economy was uh, keeping at pace with how many boomers were coming into the workplace in general. The difference for the millennials is that the economy has shrunk um, and has gone through dramatic changes in the last 20 years. And millennials have had uh, access to much more information. It's a much flatter world to their in their heads, right, than um, our heads were allowed. The reason we wanted to break something down was because it, we were uh, being impa- uh, impacted. Um, and, but the economy is not, uh, uh, has not um, been able to absorb um, the millennials or the Gen Xers, frankly, in the same rate as it did for particularly the older boomers. So while the you know, there's a lot of similarity in sensibility between the boomers and the millennials. The the economy has not accommodated the millennials as much as it really did the boomers when the boomers were, you know, uh, maybe not the last years of boomers, but the bulk of the boomer years in terms of uh, where what the possibility was. All right. So that, that would mean, would imply the following, that I may not like the hierarchy any better than anybody else does, and I may think it should be broken, but it is here, it was here when I came, and it probably will be here when I left. And so long as I'm getting compensated for that, I can learn to make my peace with it, because that's just how things happen. And good things come to me, and it's worth it. The difference, though, with the millennials are it doesn't feel like good things are going to come. And I think if I think about all the conversations I've had with millennials, the anxiety about where my career is going and is this the right job for me and am I going to make progress or just stagnate is higher than I have ever seen in my entire professional career. I agree. And I think it's, it's, um, it's a combination of many things. One is, you know, uh, today when I was coming into the workplace, you know, more people had high, uh, high school degrees than had um, uh, college degrees. And today, yes, yes. 49% of American millennials are either have them or getting them, uh, college degrees. And basically, right. the, you know, for white-collar work today, um, the college degree is the old high school degree. 
that college degree is coming with tremendous much more debt than uh, our generation had. And a lot of this is because the boomers who thought they were going to pay for their children's education uh, lost their money in 2008-2009, right? Lost right. millions and millions and millions of dollars and 10 million boomers lost their jobs uh, in that period of time. So uh, while they, they're these families have anticipated putting their children through college. Uh, they are now hanging on and working longer than they thought so they could actually retire without burdening their children as to hope. Um, and this tremendous um, ballooning of the student debt uh, has a huge impact on people's ability when they get out into the world to actually make their own way. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the same time that that has happened, particularly the older um, millennials, so people who are 27 to 36, you know, these people um, who came into the workplace after 9/11 and then after 2008, you know, there are 27-year-olds, 28, 30-year-olds still waiting for their career to catch up to where they thought it was going to be in terms of earning potential, given what the Great Recession. Uh, as, at the same time as the debt happened, at the same time as their parents lost their jobs. So the incredible um, downward pressure from the Great Recession we're still living with. And okay. uh, that's number one. Number two is we all think we're going to be working much longer because we all are much, working much longer. Millennials have heard from their parents, do not count on a company. Millennials have heard from their parents, you're going to work till you're 65. Millennials have heard from their parents, um, my job is no longer, uh, my job, my millennial, my boomer job is no longer relevant. I have to find a new career if I'm going to make it. Um, so they know this, the economy tells them this, their parents tell them this, education tells them this. So the reaction is, um, I have to pay off my debt. I want a job that matters to me. Absolutely important. And, oh my gosh, uh, what if I choose the wrong one? So what if I choose the wrong one is nothing new. Right. This is, you know, the first four years of life after college, they're tough for anybody. You're moving from, you know, a four-year cycle of life to uh, 22 to 95 being the cycle of life. Right. There's no four-year automatic um, social promotion once you get out of yeah. college. So uh, adjusting, adjusting to the real, uh, the cadence of life without, um, without education is nothing new. It just is more um, complex given these other situations that we're talking about. Okay. All right, Lee, a lot to digest in that one. We're going to take a break. Yeah. Let me just sort of summarize. If I go back to what it is you do as a manager as a company, four things. Provide a millennial, so five things. One, drop the negative language and shift your thinking. And then provide context for them. Why are we doing what we're doing? Give them a role so they understand why what they're doing contributes to the success of the greater whole. Provide appreciation on the things that they're doing well regularly and give constructive feedback in the moment that's fresh and it's very specific. Mm-hmm. All right. With me today is Lee Carraher. Lee is a communication strategist who lives in San Francisco, working with top consumer and technology brands in the country. She's the author of Millennials and Management and more recently, The Boomerang Principle, which is about how to inspire loyalty. We're going to take a break. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk specifically about loyalty and how we get more of it among the millennials. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Lee Carraher, and we are talking about managing millennials. We've been talking a bit about what it is that millennials expect and want and what are the driving forces in their lives that have made them such a different generation. One of those, I'm just going to quote one statistic from Lee, which is if you think about what we used to say to people about how frequently you needed to communicate a marketing message, that you would do it seven to 12 times, get the right message in front of the right person to have an impact. Today, we say it takes 35 times to get the right message in front of the right person to have an impact. So we're dealing with a generation that's over, I mean, has dramatic increases in information and dramatic increases in accessibility, both to people and to information, plus some incredible financial pressures. So unlike their parents and their grandparents entering the workplace, they're going in with much more debt from college. Um, parents who could not have not been able to hold on to wealth in the ways that was anticipated through the Great Recession, that they've heard from their parents that you can't count on the company and that your skills can quickly become irrelevant and they're trying to pay down the debt and they want to do something that really matters and they're really worried about making the wrong choices. And you can see why this makes for a crazy cocktail <laughs> for current managers and the employees coming back in. And just to reiterate, we're talking about millennials as people who are born between 1980 and 2000, or they're 16 to 36 years of age. Okay, so Lee, I want to talk about loyalty now. Yeah. There's a lot of belief that the millennials are much more job hoppers than the previous generation. 
Now, my personal experience is not necessarily the same or different, but what's your view? What, are they really switching more often and why? I think it depends on part, what part of the country you're in, but the, the impression, the overwhelming impression of companies and uh, managers is that millennials job hop. So regardless of what the truth is, uh, the, the overall impression across the country, across industry, is that millennials job hop. And then why should I put so much effort into these people if they complain and they're going to leave? Uh, statistics in different parts of the country bear that out. In San Francisco, the average uh, tenure for someone under 30 is about um, uh, 18 to 24 months, which is short. You know, it's short compared yeah. to at least the expectation. And uh, millennials don't call this job hopping. They call it career building, right? So uh, they, like I said before, they have this expectation that they should have more than what they shouldn't count on the company. And if the company can't deliver, they'll find a company that can deliver. A company can't deliver something that where they feel appreciated, where they feel they're contributing, and where they matter. And that it's moving them towards a goal, right? So um, these are, you know, if you put all those things together, it's not necessarily untrue or true, but the impression and the negativity around the um, the millennial as a job hopper is actually palpable across the country. The uh, at the same time, from a millennial perspective, if I'm not getting where I want to go, if these people don't appreciate me, if I don't have a job that matters, why would I stay here? Um, and it's sort of a negative funnel that happens. If you have a person or a manager who's already predisposed to not putting extra effort into the millennial, the mil- and the millennial who has just gotten out of college or the first three or four years out of school and is used to a lot of uh, feedback and praise and uh, social promotion, that is uh, what you, a cocktail for disaster, right? <laughs> More than anything right. else. So, um, uh, the and but it's expensive. It's expensive for businesses not to retain their employees when, until they want to. So there's two things that have to happen. One is how do you keep people in longer, and two is what is the how do we change the the model in business to actually represent the um, the reality of the business, right? Because every time you lose somebody, it's extremely expensive. And really, we're talking about the disappointment of someone leaving before we want them to, right? right. <laughs> Uh, it's not the disappointment that they left when you wanted them to. That's perfect. But it's the disappointment about when people leave when you don't want them to that we're really dealing with today. Right, right. And the, I want to talk about how we do that one. I just want to also, though, go back and say that I think you're right that the managers of millennials are not having, not finding or getting or having the time to do the kind of management and appreciation and feedback that would be useful And on the one hand, I'd say they didn't get it, so they're not giving it. And on the other hand, I'll say a lot of those folks are doing two and three jobs at the moment within the same organization. They've just had tasks piled on and piled on and piled on. So some empathy that there isn't a lot of time. Now, that doesn't solve the issue. All right. So, but there is some. It doesn't solve the issue. But I think what um, what we see is that efficiency, you know, where. I absolutely agree. People are doing more jobs than they used to because the whole layers of, of organizations have been, you know, taken out, right? Whole layers of support have been taken out. Um, the, but what we're, we haven't done, we haven't adjusted our, we've just done things the same way, even though we have more work to do, instead of sort of looking at, if you take a step back, where inefficiency happens or frustration definitely happens is when people have to repeat themselves over and over again. 
And you get a lot of questions like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Am I doing well? A lot, you know, these particularly, you know, mm-hmm. millennials want a lot more feedback, a lot more input than definitely their Gen X colleagues. Gen Xers, you know, uh, latchkey kids, a lot of single children, very independent. Um, and there's definitely a clash there. And what we find, though, is if you actually take the time to give that context, so if you take the half an hour, which just seems like so much time when you're so busy, but if you take the half an hour at the beginning of a project, you actually erase multiple half an hours throughout your whole project. So if you have a team of five, you take a half an hour at the beginning, that's um, two and a half hours of time altogether if you're that team of five. Or you can have, uh, if you don't do that context setting, you can have that team of five come back to you individually for half an hour time slots over the course of a project. So it might take you 20 hours of interruption time as opposed to that context setting time that can really ease the whole way. So, we, you know, if you are overwhelmed with how much work you have, you really, I encourage people to step back and look at their calendar and color code it and see I did this myself. I was like, why am I so tired? Why am I not moving? And I found when I color-coded my calendar, I I put the repeat, like, how much uh, more stuff I had to put in. Uh, Like, why am I touching this person so many times? And I was touching younger people many more times than I was touching uh, older people. I don't mean touching them. You know what I mean? They're spending time with them. And then I was looking at the efficiency of that time, and it was all, like, contextual. And this is where um, I was able to... Uh, it, what I did in my own company to fix this issue was all data-based here. It was all based on data because uh, we do track our time in my business, and I was able to shift the time forward so that it took less time over time. So we can't okay. imagine that this piling on work does not require a different way of working. Right, right. I agree, and I don't think we have gone back to redefine that. I think sometimes that senior management expects that it will get redefined because they don't think it needs to be done the same way, but that somehow doesn't trickle down. Okay, so I get your point that if I set the context for millennials at the beginning, I'm going to save myself time as the project goes on where I don't have to keep answering the same question over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So... Then that's one of the things I want to do to build loyalty. All right. And I get that a manager wants you to be here. I want to know you're going to be here, not just for the next 18 to 24 months, but for a few years. Because if I'm going to really invest in you, I'm going to spend my time coaching and developing you. I'd like to know what's worth it. So Mm -hmm. apart from setting context, is there anything else we can do to really build loyalty? Or do we just Mm -hmm. have to adjust our equation? I think it's uh, uh, adjusting the equation. So I'll tell you what we started doing at my company. Every a person starts here, and then their first week, I meet with everybody um, just for you know context. And there's that context word again, and so they can meet with me sometime. And I tell them all, congratulations for joining us. We're so happy you're here. I know you're not going to be here forever. I know you don't have to be here. I know you chose to be here as much as we chose you. You chose us. Um, and I hope you're here for a very, very long time, but I know you probably won't be. Um, but when you decide that what my company, Devil Forte, offers does not fit your opportunity, what you want to do, and, you, and you've talked to us, and you, we cannot accommodate your goals within the contracts of our company, tell us, and we will help you be successful somewhere else. So I take that whole onus out of the equation by just saying so up front. Because we cannot imagine that our companies can um, change fast enough with the, what's going on in the world 
to accommodate every single person's personal goals, uh, professional personal goals. What we can imagine is that our companies can be valuable to those people for their whole lives. And if we focus on being a valuable part of somebody's career, as opposed to them owing us because we're paying them, right, Um, then the equation changes. Because loyalty is not when you pay me. That is a transaction. Loyalty is when you do something for me that I did not pay you for and I did not ask you for. Um, And so what we're really looking for is lifetime loyalty. I want someone who works here to be loyal to this company until they retire. That doesn't mean they have to work here. It does mean they have to, they would do things out of the, I would just say goodness of their heart or because they thought good things about us that would benefit the company over the long haul. And if you take the long haul, the person actually ends up staying longer than if you take the short-term, I need you to be loyal to me now perspective. Um, the happiness equo- equation, which is I, I have a goal, I want to get it accomplished, I feel like I'm accomplishing things, that is the employee's responsibility. If we don't understand what they're trying to get done, then we can't you know, adjust what our work could be to accommodate them, which would keep them in here longer, which would add to our bottom line, which would then add to the health of the organization. So we have to be, it's a very messy, and the unfortunate part of all this is that, you know, in a a world where we like to check off boxes, people today are not, you know, they're they're box checkers of their own. They're not box checkers of the companies, and it's just, it's, it's a shift. It's a shift in thinking about things that it, it, it's a long haul, not a short-term win. So, Lee, when I hear you talk about this, it reminds me of a project I did with one of my clients uh, more than a decade ago, long time mm-hmm. ago, where we were talking about instead of customer You know, you have customers that you try to wrap around with all sorts of care and tailor-made solutions Mm -hmm. for those customers. And the notion of this project was to do the same thing for your key talent. And that's what you're talking about here. You're talking about understanding for every individual you bring in, what is it the goal they've set them for themselves, not my job, but what have they set and how are they trying to get that accomplishment accomplished and are they feeling pretty good about the journey? Mm-hmm. Can we do anything to accommodate your needs as an employee? <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no. Right. Um, but that puts a much more on the line of I want you to be loyal to us as a company, whether you work here or not. Mm-hmm. I basically want when people, what would crush me personally is if someone left here and said that was a waste of three years. I didn't get anywhere. I didn't accomplish anything. I can't. Even if I change career, you know, I have to change careers or, ugh, you know, I didn't learn anything there. That would crush me personally because of, that's just my makeup. But it also would devalue the entity Double Forte. The keeping Double Forte valuable over time um, is more about people who leave here and what they do after they've gone than it is about the services we present today. Because every time someone leaves our organization, big or small, every single time they can hurt us or help us. And that was probably always true, but it's really true today with social media. So is that person going to leave? And, um, you know, 
you know, you have to be boomerang ready. You have to be, you have to, you know, you want to have an, I'm not talking about every employee, you know, the bad employees who are just like suck you dry. I'm talking about the people who do their work well, who have been honest and open with you. Like, I really want to do this instead. Can, you know, is there, is that possibility here? And if the possibility is not here, you shouldn't be surprised when they go do something else, right? But to right. figure that out at all, right? But if you help someone be successful somewhere else, doesn't mean they wouldn't come back to you in many ways. They're out there in the world. They're, oh, here's a good business opportunity for you. Or they see somebody out there and they say, Yuanda, oh, my gosh, you should, let me call Lee. You should go work with Lee for a while because I think you'd really love Double Forte. You would learn so much there. And then, you know, Wanda, you call me and, I'll, you know, just I've all of a sudden cut my recruiting costs down in path. Or um, you find a business partnership or whatever. You're out there as a good agent for the company you just were from. Um, you know, the most important thing on Glassdoor, which is the, um, you know, people give ratings for their companies, is not the employee who the current employee uh, re- referral is not the past bad referral. It's the former employee who says great things. That's the most valuable thing you can have on Glassdoor. So if we're working on that, just thinking about it for the long haul, we're just we're creating a, an ecosystem where our companies are actually much larger than our, our current you know business footprint. But the footprint is actually everybody who's been through us, uh, which is and if it's po- you know overwhelmingly totally positive, then our we have a more frictionless business, which is a more sustainable business. Okay, fabulous. For those who don't know, Glassdoor is a website that people go to rate what it's like to work at your company. Um, Every company is listed there in some form, some of them a lot of comments, some of them very few comments. And if you think people aren't looking at it, trust me, everybody I talk to now, even non-millennials, before they take a job at a company, go read what is being said about that company on Glassdoor. Um, so highly recommended that you check that out. So I love this notion that if we're thinking about our employees as a lifetime um, part of the value chain, if you will, mm-hmm. that they may be employees for us for a short period of time, but they can do so much more for us. They can send other people to us. They can say good things about us. They can spot business opportunities. They may come back at another point in time. They can refer us for other people. They can create different partnerships they do have a lifetime value, and we need to look at the lifetime value chain, not the two to three years that they're in our company, or four to five, right. as the case may be. Yeah. Very interesting concept. And it all well, comes back to... the loyalty thing is when you're paying someone, that's not loyalty. That's a transaction. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. But you should value me, even though I haven't spent any time with you. I haven't helped you develop your skills. I don't actually understand what your goals are in the first place, and I certainly haven't given you any feedback or appreciation. Yes. Well, you should be happy to work here. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your paycheck. Yeah, well, the paycheck is, you know, a whole, that Mad Men scene where, you know, you never say thank you. And he says, yeah. your paycheck is thank you. Well, yeah. that is a short, you know, you could start well, but that's a frictionful business. You know, and, yeah. and, and what you just said about your, your client before who was worried about robotics, you know, who hadn't thought about what's going to happen in their companies. We need to be as frictionless as possible around the human interaction because all this technology is really going to change everything. Right. Great. I love that. Be frictionless in our human interaction. Okay. So we're going to take a break again. 
With me today is Lee Carraher. The book that we are just talking about is The Boomerang Principle. And it's the notion that uh, millennials, for a host of good reasons, may not be as classically, quote unquote, loyal as we have expected them to be. But that for millennials, it really comes down to, given all the pressures, both the college debt, the experiences, their parents, their own goals, where they're trying to get to in building their career, the kind of experiences they want to have, the track record they're trying to build. They look at your company to say, is this a place that helps me build my career the way I'm looking for it? As a manager, you need to understand that. You need to understand how you contribute it to it, and you need to set context, show appreciation, make sure they understand their role, and give some consistent, clear, actionable, in the moment, feedback. In addition, if you think about the employee not in terms of loyalty because they're getting paid, but in loyalty in their lifetime, the ways in which they can interact with the company over the course of their lifespan, then you start to think about how to treat them differently. And that's exactly the purpose behind the boomerang principle. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do some final advice about how managers and organizations can work with this millennial generation. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. Voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, 
back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Lee Carraher. Lee is the author of Millennials in Management, as well as a very recent book called The Boomerang Principle, which is about inspiring loyalty among millennials, even in the face of feeling that there is no such thing as loyalty. And I'll come back to something Lee has said multiple times. Loyalty is not because I paid you. Loyalty is because I do things for you, for your benefit, when you're not necessarily paying me or rewarding me or necessarily even looking. An interesting principle about how to inspire loyalty among your um, employees or former employees. So, Lee, you think that one of the best things companies can do is to create an alumni group. What do you mean and why is this helpful? Right. So the first thing, you know, when you think about that long-term life uh, value of an employee who has lived with you and after they go into the world without you, you know, how can you keep them attached to you so they're actually, they know what you need. They know the kind of people you're looking for. They, they would give you a, a, a business uh, opportunity that made sense for you. So the first, you know, it is to keep people attached to you. So a while LinkedIn is full of sort of rogue alumni programs run by former employees, what I suggest is that every company set up a formal alumni program run by the company. And in this uh, alumni program, it is a network. Um, so you can, if you don't can't afford your, to build your own website, you can put it on Facebook as a, as a closed private Facebook group. It's a newsletter. Um, that you send uh, monthly or quarterly, and then um, you're posting jobs first in your alumni group and then out in the world um, and allowing people to see what you're looking for and know what you're doing so that they can be proud as uh, of their time with you as they are of what they're doing today. It's much like the same thing as a college or a university alumni club, which recounts on its alumni to recruit for recruiting uh, students and matriculation and fundraising, but you don't have to ask them for money. So it's actually much much easier than that. That's an interesting one. So now I can imagine some employers will be worried that um, millennials, especially when a few of them left without the best positive experience, that this alumni group just becomes a complaint session about everything that's wrong with a company. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that happening? I'm not seeing that happen at all. Um, of course, you're very open. You know, I think you set the rules, right? What's allowed language is allowed language is not. But if you see a negative point, it's to get in there immediately and talk to that person, see what their experience was, and see if it's legitimate or not. There's some that things, some things are legitimate, some things are not. Um, and you can allow and disallow things on your own network um, as you need to. The vast majority of people who leave want to be attached to the people who are still in the company, right? And actually, these relationships people have, um, if you can help them keep them fostered, uh, you are giving them a benefit over time that, uh, that almost everybody I've encountered really, really appreciates. I can see that because it's so easy to lose track with colleagues that you enjoyed working with and to lose track of kind of what is this company doing and what do they change. And I can imagine all sorts of positive word of mouth that can get generated as a result. All right. So, Lee, you've said very clearly that as a manager, so as a company, we need to run a formal alumni program for people who've been with us and left. And we do things like provide a newsletter and post jobs first there. Let those people refer us and maybe some want to come back or not. You've also said very clearly that managers need to do four things and do it first. Set the context 
Make sure other people understand how their roles apply to what we're trying to accomplish, what's your role in having us be successful. That I show some appreciation, a specific kind of appreciation that as in you did that report or that presentation really well yesterday. And we need to give constructive, in the moment, actionable feedback. Um, change our attitude a bit. We look at a lifetime engagement with the company, not just the employment contract. And then we run an alumni group. This sounds like a heck of a lot of work. Is it worth it? <laughs> it does sound uh, like a lot of work. And I, my, uh, my own experience here is that when you put these things into action, you actually save time. We count every 15 minutes in our company. And when we started doing this, we found that we were reduced our non-billable time by 17%. And that's real money right down to the bottom line. I just take you you know it is a different way of looking at things and it's it's time up front and it's genuine interest and it's the human nature of the you know um, we're all working with humans uh, and the faster you can get them to be positive the faster you can get to have efficiency wow that's incredible i love that 17% reduction in non-billable time by investing some time up front now that would get a lot of people thinking um and it's a different way of thinking i think you're right Okay. My guest today, Lee Carraher. Lee is CEO of the Double Forte PR and digital marketing company. She's an acclaimed communication strategist, works with a lot of consumer and technology brands, the author of Millennials in Management, as well as a recent book called The Boomerang Principle, which is about inspiring loyalty. And it's all about thinking about your millennials, not just for the time that they're employed with you, but as lifetime proponents, advocates, consumers, referrals for your company so treating them much more like customers i think we've said and to repeat the advice for managers is set the context make sure people understand the role show appreciation and give concrete action feedback in the moment so lee thank you for being with us wanda it's so great to be with you thank you for having me back it's a pleasure all right, next week, join us again. I'm going to be talking with Rupert Jones about his experience managing a team in a large global firm. Join us then. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.